Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For our last episode of 2020, what a year, (laughs) we got to hang out with Tegan and Sarah. I hope that you enjoy our interview. Welcome to Why Not Both. <laughs> I really appreciate you both being here, though. It's really been, it's a cool experience to get to actually hang out with people like once a week from my living room. Oh my God. I, I have totally turned into the kind of person that used to avoid having to talk to people. And now I'm like, I've got, I've, I've frog jumped over to just texting and talking. And I'm like, let's FaceTime to everybody I know. <laughs> I know that like it's cyclical <laughs> because we all hit the point where we become Zoom and FaceTime exhausted during COVID, but I'm like back to being like setting up COVID dates all the time. Oh, I feel very like, it feels very like, I tried to say middle school and Victorian at the same time. (laughs) It didn't work out well, (laughs) but it feels very middle school and Victorian to be like, oh, I want to set up a phone call with you. I want to set up a (laughs) FaceTime with you. I'm like, it feels very quaint and I love it. (laughs) Well, there's like, I feel like there's different, there's a different kind of intimacy comes that comes from each format. Like I actually really do love texting with people because I, I think it's really, it can, I don't know. I like when you're texting somebody and they're busy doing something else and, or they're on a call and you're communicating with them. Like it feels really sneaky and funny. And then I also really do love seeing people's faces. And there's so many people that I've FaceTimed now or Zoomed with that I never would have and probably never will again after <laughs> this time. But it feels cool to like experience seeing people you like you know there are people I have relationships with for 20 years that I'd never ever even considered going on FaceTime with and now I'm like well let's FaceTime and it's uncovering a whole different part of our relationship then the other day I randomly just called somebody like no text prior no time I just that's I got real dangerous and just called somebody and it was really fun and again it's somebody that I would never just randomly call and but it was such a delightful conversation and the joy, Whoa. the joy, like when he answered the phone, like he you could feel that he had, he was like, mm-hmm. I'm so like, and he was out for a walk <laughs> like, and we talked for like an hour and a half. And it was totally this moment where I was like, okay, so I'm definitely getting to the point in COVID where I'm like having to, I'm trying, I'm changing it up. But anyway. That's really sweet. Yeah, I was talking on the phone with one of my friends who during this time we have become phone friends, which it was funny the first time he called me, I was like alarmed. And I was like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I just wanted to like talk to you. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) we were talking and he saw a flock of geese fly over the moon while he was walking on the beach. And I was like, I'm so glad I was on the phone with you for that. So then I got to vicariously experience that. Mm-hmm. I was like that's amazing what is it like in Canada currently during all of this I was talking to another guest who actually was filming in Canada and said that he felt relatively safe being there then he flew back to LA and was like <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, back into full lockdown um, we are we've had similar to the United States um, a real 
uh, jump in cases and sort of, you know, it's sort of exponential day, day by day now. So we are, as of yesterday, actually here in BC, so in Vancouver and the, the province of BC, mm-hmm. um, things, they're shutting down um, a lot of businesses and, and things actually I was surprised about. I was not under the impression that it was okay at any point in the last eight months to go to a spin class, but apparently that was a thing. And as of yesterday is no longer a thing, which was utterly shocking to me, mm-hmm. um, which I, you know, not to say, I mean, full acknowledgement here, like business has got a business, you know, I, I feel bad for the people, but I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I still, I, th- I think of myself as being somewhat flexible around some of the 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 social distancing covid stuff you know at, especially over the summer you know i was on crowded beaches and i would think like oh am i being reckless but like to me a spin class is just thumbing your nose at the you know at the whole thing but anyway not to pick on spinning people but uh <laughs> yeah we're we're back into we're back into like you're not supposed to go to people's houses. Um, yeah. you, you can't, you can't, um, mandatory masks, um, everywhere indoors. And, uh, and yeah, we're just seeing that we're seeing that, um, you know, what was sort of promised to us. If you don't, if you don't follow these protocols and we all start socializing again, you will see an increase, especially as it gets cold and especially around holidays. And that is mm-hmm. indeed what is happening here in Canada. <clears throat> um, uh, and, and following a similar trend to the United States, though, um, you know, our governments, uh, pr- both provincially and countrywide are a little different than what's going on in the United States. You know, I think we, we have some of the same sort of characters and some of the mm-hmm. same Mm-hmm. narratives around like you know I can't breathe in this mask I need my freedom you know all of that kind of stuff but it's just fewer people so I feel like it's right. easier to drown them out and we're not as sensationalizing of that counterculture or that kind of outspoken voice I feel like in America like sometimes you turn on the news and it's just like one story after the other of people screaming in a target like yeah let me breathe or whatever and so you think oh wow this is like a real movement whereas I feel like in Canada it's sort of like oh yeah you know John went crazy in the Walmart but you know he you know he he got kicked out and now his (laughs) wife's gonna do the shopping or whatever (laughs) I know that sounds quaint but that's like a thing I actually saw so yeah I uh yeah yeah I think I think we have a better we're 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 seeing a spike in cases and it's really scary and we're also seeing the same trends around um you know our our uh, our populations who have to be at work and, yeah. and seeing trends amongst those populations. We're seeing, you know, people, people in, um, you know, different sort of like economic classes who are, who are obviously having to go to work. And so they're seeing higher rates of infection and it's, you know, it's brutal. This whole thing is, is really challenging. And obviously for me and Tegan in the music industry, we could talk for years about how, you know, the blemishes this has revealed on our industry and the, the sort of like, safety net that is not that is non-existent in our world and it's it's been a it's been a really um uh tough tough year to think about what it means to be in the music industry and what it means to be self-employed for sure yeah because i know that also right before this you two started a non-profit as well and so Uh, about four years ago yeah we we did um strangely that our 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 foundation the tegan and sarah foundation um this has given us a lot of time to focus on it (laughs) A pandemic perk. Uh, you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because Tegan, what's your experience been like? And are you two quarantined in the same city? We are quarantined in the same city. Um, so Sarah's in, I mean, tech, I guess, is it, is North Vancouver its own city? I think it is, right? 
It is. It's like his own district. Mm. Sarah lives. So Sarah lives in the district of North Vancouver, and I live in <laughs> Vancouver proper. But uh, yeah, we're 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 both up here in Canada. It's funny because we, in in the early two thousand, Sarah and I moved to Vancouver, and then Sarah left a few years later and, and lived in Montreal, and then in New York, and then in L.A. And I lived in L.A. And last year we both just had this hankering to come back to Vancouver full time, oh. and, and so we're definitely, we had a few chuckles at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> you know, being like, wow, we're really lucky. Cause a lot of the other places that we've lived, I mean, I was in, you know, LA for the last 10 years. I, yeah. I know it's been really hard. It's by, you know, connecting with all our friends and colleagues there. It's been really sad listening to the stories and, you know, I have friends with kids who live in apartments downtown LA and there's, oh, it's already challenging no. to have kids downtown LA, but then during COVID, it's oh, like, no. <laughs> yeah, pretty brutal. And, uh, there's one set of friends that I have who I just love so much and they live in an old apartment building that I used to live in and they, there's renovations happening. So this is so stupid. No one's going to care about this, but you want to talk about miserable. It's like, they both work from home. They have two kids under six who are in this apartment and then there's constant construction like eight until four every day, five days a week, this entire pandemic, other than when the like full shutdown was happening. Oh and uh, the fact that they have made it out so far. Is a bloody, I commend miracle. As someone yeah. whose like condo mate um, upstairs decided to renovate their condo during this time um, and oh, wow. a nail gun through a pipe by accident. Um, love that yeah um, but I do not have two children it's just a me and yeah. so I can only imagine like if that's how bonkers I was going <laughs> I can only <laughs> no it's so crazy I mean I will say like we, we feel so grateful like I echo what Sarah said about you know um there's so much there's so much grief and fear and stress and anxiety related to COVID and climate change and the destruction of our industry and just how unfair and unjust, you know, all of this is when you look at the numbers and you really, you know, dive into like who's affected most. And as yeah. always, the rich get richer, the middle class sort of stays the same and, and those most marginalized in our communities tend to suffer. And it's been really hard, but for us personally, you know, we do feel really lucky to be home in Canada. And, and this was a year where we did have you know, almost four months of touring planned and we haven't toured in a couple years. So that was a really significant um, amount of touring for us because, you know, that's how we feed yeah. the team and the ecosystem of people around us and, and also our hearts and souls. And yeah. so it's really sad that we don't get to tour. That being said, we're home, we're safe, we're healthy. We have a record deal. We have a book deal. We're writing, we're creative. And so it also feels sort of like not that bad for us. And that's, um, Again, to echo something Sarah said, it's given us lots of time to focus our energy elsewhere too, to give back and help out. And a big part of the pandemic uh, for us has been focusing on the Tegan and Sarah Foundation, which we launched, you know, almost five years ago now. And uh, raising money during COVID has been hard, but we've managed to raise just from one fundraising uh, campaign we did. We raised over a hundred thousand dollars, and we've been able to give out just tons of money to community um organizations a lot of them black and indigenous led who focus on lgbtq communities and it's been it's been nice like it's sort of been um a bit of a distraction during a time mm. where where we needed distraction so yeah generally speaking i think we're doing we're doing okay i was gonna say it sounds like a mixture of survivalist guilt what's that phrase it's like when you feel guilty for survivors. doing survivors yeah survivors, survivors guilt there we yeah. go <laughs> Yeah, it's like a bit of that, but also you're being, 
you're being the Mr. Rogers, you're being the look for the helpers. And it's like, it sounds like you're in a situation where thankfully you are safe. And so you're like, well, how do we turn to helping others? And it sounds like, especially through the foundation, you've really been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also Sarah and I are such creative monsters. Like we're just always like make, make things, make things, make things, do things. And so also right away at the beginning of the pandemic, we started coming up with creative projects right away, because I think we're always thinking about, okay, how can we, you know, keep, all the people working for us working how can we yeah. drive income how can we you know we tapped a ton of artists to do remixes for our last record and we did a video you know series and, and tapped a bunch of artists to come in and direct and make visuals and you know we also just are always thinking about ways to i mean i know this word is getting overused during covid but like we're always pivoting and yeah. we've always done that i think that's how we've lasted 20 years in the industry <laughs> We're always just like, okay, that did work, but now it doesn't work anymore. All right, let's shift our energy and let's focus on something else. And I think we just approached COVID that way. Yeah, that makes total sense. What have you, because you just listed a whole bunch of projects you were working on. I was like, tell me more about each one of those. Those all sound awesome. <laughs> <laughs> most, most of the stuff Tegan mentioned, you know, that sort of came in the early stages of the pandemic and you know, it did, it really did help us feel like we weren't just sort of stalling midair. Like we, mm. we had so many plans for, you know, we had a remix album that was ready to come out for, that was sort of accompanying our summer touring plans. And, you know, we, we did what we could to try to sort of like um, see those projects through and but it's also you know once once that stuff was off the docket it was like okay you know like as Tegan said it was like okay what do we what do we create like what is what is um what is what's going to sustain us and satisfy us as creative people during this time and I think as we as we've gotten older and this is something very specific to us you know I I'm like really sensitive lately I have so many musician friends who have not had successful COVID times and they're kind of like you know, am I a failure because I didn't figure out how to write a memoir? And I'm like, no, no. if anything, I think the fact that Tegan and I can, can sort of, can jump into different mediums is actually maybe has more to do with the fact that we're not great musicians. Like, I'm like, maybe for yourself, maybe we've been like, faking it pretty decently for a long time. And we're still kind of looking for our field. But I, uh, I mean, all joking aside, I think we had started to think of ourselves, you know, not just as songwriters, but as storytellers. And mm-hmm. I can, I, and I can honestly say that it's part of how we work in everything we do. So like, even with the foundation, you know, so much of our narrative with the, with the philanthropic work we do and the community work we do is about storytelling. How do I tell you a story in the public that allows you to understand the disparities and inequities that this group of people who you may not be familiar with um, the inequities that they're facing and how you can help and how you can be a part of, you know, addressing that community. And the way to do it, we have found, is not through statistics or through scary numbers or through, you know, guilt or anger. It's often through storytelling. And so, you know, when we sort of got through these initial projects um, in the early days of, of 2020, we, um, we started to focus our energy on other creative ideas that we have that would probably have been impossible if we had been out on the road touring. I mean, the yeah. space, uh, the space to really let some of these ideas mature and, uh, and sort of rise to the surface. I, what I have realized through this year is that our, the, the, um, 
the intensity of our life and our schedule, specifically around the times that we are touring, does not allow for our creative um, energies to flow in the same way. And it's been a long time since we had so much time and energy to let creative ideas, you know, sort of reveal themselves. And they don't just, sometimes they're bolts of electricity or sparks that you go, oh my God, I have this amazing idea. But sometimes it comes out over a long period of time. And yeah. um, so right now, Tegan and I are working on a graphic novel series. We 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 did a deal with our our public the, the publisher who put out our memoir in the mm -hmm. States, uh, FSG, their kids department approached us about writing a fictionalized current day story about twins who uh, are starting grade seven and who are sort of, you know, similar to the Tegan and Sarah um, that we were when we were kids. They, they're they aware of their identity, their sexuality, they're, um, you know, struggling with social dynamics, and they're also discovering who they are as, as young musicians. And so oh. it's, but it is, but it is fictionalized and it is aimed at that younger audience. So it's been really fun to work on those. And we're working mm -hmm. with a really cool um, artist and writer, all her own, Tilly Walden. She's fabulous. And so that book series is sort of, we're sort of like mid, um, you know, mid process. And then, uh, and then we also are always working on new music, though um, I have no great intensity desire to release anything during a time where we can't tour. So we'll, we, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that's all going to look, but really feeling excited about music and, and writing. Um, Tegan, you want it? You can, Tegan, we can trade off. You can on some of the other projects. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Well, for next year, I mean, it does, it does seem very likely that we're not going to be able to tour next year. So we, um, we pitched this idea to write about being twins and have it be an audio uh, experience, I guess, kind of like an audio original or a podcast, um, sort of in this sort of shape and format of, this American life. We start every episode with a story about our own twinship. And mm -hmm. then the rest of the episode is sort of informed by that theme. Um, and we talk to other twins or we talk to family of twins or specialists or whatever it is, but sort of dive into and do a sort of uh, 365 degree look at twins. Um, and so we are uh, working on that next year. And then it will also be a, a, a couple months after the audio book or audio series airs, um, there will be an actual book that accompanies it. That'll be more just straight up memoir about our experience being twins. So that'll be a lot of our focus next year. And um, we got our memoir high school got greenlit to sort of advance to the next stages of, uh, of um, uh, development. So we mm -hmm. are kind of working with this awesome writer, director, friend of ours, Clea Duvall to develop it for television so there's that on the on the there's like all these little piles of yeah. things like you know and every day we sort of just kind of invest a little bit of time in each one so but definitely lots of writing stuff right now just just mm -hmm. with the fact that we can't tour and um and then obviously we'll still be focusing on on other musical things I mean if some of these other projects go they'll be musical elements so mm -hmm. always always having that in the back of my mind like when yes. Sorry about my coffee maker just showing up. It's just featuring on this part of my story. Um, yeah, I think like we're always thinking about how music can tie into things. Because you know yeah. what's funny is, is that we got off the road in 2018. We'd been out touring this record, Love You to Death. And the first thing we'd said was, okay, well, we don't want to tour for a while. So we don't want to make a record because if we make a record, then we're going to have to tour. So we're like, let's write a book. And 
the second we started writing the book, we found all these demos from high school and decided to make a record. So then we ended up <laughs> touring anyway. And so I, yeah, exactly. It was a huge whoopsie doodle. And then I think like that's sort of what's happening right now is that Sarah and I keep putting up this like fence. At first it was just like a nice fancy kind of LA style you know, fence. And then soon it's like going to be a chain link fence. And so it's going to be like a prison fence where we keep saying like, no music, no touring. But I think inevitably it's just in our blood and no matter how much we dabble with other things. And maybe you hear this often having these kinds of conversations, no matter how much we dabble with all these other things, there is this like sort of link back to the original source and the source, original source of creativity for us is performing and singing and storytelling and, and being fake comedians on stage and I think that no matter how hard we try to move away from that (laughs) no matter how many times I'm like I don't want to go back to Spokane and Des Moines and you know play little theaters and you know eat Subway sandwiches like the reality is is that we do all of that because at the end of the day then we step up on stage and there's a sea of faces all smiling and interacting and engaging with us and all these other projects that we do are really fun and they they feed me in a way but nothing feeds me like just standing on that stage looking at people and hearing them laugh and sing along oh what's the connection storytelling and some of that is being in a way in person like we have these mediums for digital storytelling but it's so different when you're sharing space with someone yeah agreed agreed and i think like we definitely experienced a little bit of that when we went and did the book tour, because, you know, I did feel really happy sometimes when we would just just go to a bookstore and just answer some questions and meet people, read a little bit from the book. I, I still felt very fed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's just something about music. There's just something about that experience. I don't know. It's a really different kind of feeling. It's also funny that you're like, I'm trying to run away from music and music was like, haha, it's me again. <laughs> yeah, it's haunting. What even Sarah and I even last night we were emailing way, way past when we normally email because we've got these really wonderful, very vibrant characters right now that we're writing for this fictionalized mm-hmm. Tegan and Sarah story of you know for kids and and Sarah we had a meeting yesterday and Sarah was like soundtrack and you know we'll write all these new songs and we'll do this and we'll do that and I was emailing and I was all like hold on. <laughs> Let's finish the books first because it's like we get excited. It's so sincere. It's so genuine. We just love, we're not slowing down. We're just always coming up with ideas. I think we exhaust everyone around us. We're the dog at the dog park that the owner's arm is like, like they're having to start throwing with their left arm, you know, because they're just like, he won't stop. He's never tired. His legs never give out. (laughs) That's us. We're that dog. Excellent. Excellent. I was like, I feel a kinship here because people are like, why, why do you say you have insomnia? Like, are you anxious at night? And I was like, no, I just always am kept up by interesting ideas of things I want to create. <laughs> what do you do when that, what do you do? Do you sit up and write them out? How do you, yeah, that energy? I have my rules for myself. If I can't sleep, I'm not allowed to just like watch passive media. I have to, if I'm going to be awake, I have to do something that actually is creative and then I exhaust myself and fall asleep typically um, yeah. because like I can't just like kind of wander around or watch a movie. It's like, no, no, no. If you're up, like go to the piano, go to your notes. Right. Do go. something. Yeah. It's like if you have that energy because otherwise like I don't get the energy out anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But I, often, I like that. Yeah. That's a good rule. I mostly your, do it. <laughs> yeah. When's your birthday? Just <laughs> <laughs> My birthday is February 17th, so I'm a very sensitive Aquarius. 
Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Noted. Yep. I was like, when's your birthday? We're, we were born on September 19th. We're like very intense Virgos. Ah. So like the classic cliche Virgo. Yeah. Excellent. I tend to get along really well, weirdly, with like Virgos and Capricorns because y'all have the structure that I lack. So I will spin out a bunch of ideas and then try and disappear into the ether. And you're like, come on back. Come on back. We got to figure that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wrangling the Pam back in. <laughs> yeah, we're good at that. We're good at that. We're but sometimes we're too structured, but um, I definitely I have a friend who who constantly calls me and is like, hey, can you remind me of all the things you told me last month when we spoke so that I can get back on, on track? And I'm like, yeah, I, I have them all here. We're all pinned up on the board. I got them. So you're saying that basically you're like the whiteboard of humans and I love you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We call it putting a pin in it. We'll have this like, I have this friends who have been friends for so long and we'll have, you know, two hour conversations with like 40 different topics and they'll be like, Tegan, pin it. Tegan, pin it. And then we get on the next call. They'll be like, what was the pin about moms again? And I'm like, oh my God, right. We were talking about how blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that's like the ultimate mind for doing multiple things. I'm just like, that's amazing. Cause I can see the through thread and what you're talking about. Everything you're talking about seems to hinge on like storytelling and sharing and that connecting. But I could see like sometimes trying to hold on to the details of those. I'm like, that would definitely take that kind of outlook. I think if, if there's one area where both is probably equally good and bad about Sarah and I is that we are incredibly efficient and we're incredible multitaskers and it can be exhausting to be around us and exhausting to work for us at times because we, there's almost an impatience when we watch people try to do more than one thing at once and they lose the, <laughs> and they lose the thread and it's like, it's, it's so harsh because it's like not everyone's skill set, and it's even at 40, I'm still learning to not feel like to not watch somebody trying to do something like in the most inefficient way and just be like, oh my God, yep, why are you doing it that way? <laughs> <laughs> Sarah and I always say we're going to just leave the arts entirely just to be efficiency expect or efficiency <laughs> experts or a startup. And it's like for everybody, like Sarah, so like Sarah's big thing is she wants to fix, um, like Dwayne Reed and Walgreens because like there's no system to the lineup and like there's it's just madness like it's just when you get to the tills it's just there's it's a breeding ground for animosity and tension and we just want to fix it so we have to leave Tegan and Sarah to fix it there you go well you two need to fix Trader Joe's parking lots yeah yes, <laughs> yes. yeah just make them bigger that one's easy <laughs> there we go there we go I was like that's your first project because like there was that that joke song about it getting real in the Whole Foods parking lot. And people I would say are more aggressive in Whole Foods parking lots, but there's something about Trader Joe's parking lots that they're just not designed for actual cars. It's because yeah. I think they they picked weird locations to put Trader Joe's because they were supposed to be sort of like bohemian Market. and counterculture and yeah. like, oh, well, you know, oh, there's this weird building that has, that nobody else, that a Whole Foods would never go into. And so, the, and then they're like, well, there's only six spots and 600 people want to park there. Um, <laughs> but it's still a great idea. Full disclosure, <laughs> I do usually walk to the Trader Joe's by my well, I was also going to say too, it's a, it, when I, when I lived in New York um, and Montreal, I didn't have access to a car you know it was like a whole part of my life for almost 15 years as an adult where I managed to 
um, you know, run businesses, tour around the world, feed myself, see friends, have a social life, mm-hmm. get to the doctor, like my whole life, just 15 years of just, you know, you figure it out. Sometimes you walk, sometimes you snowshoe, sometimes you ride your bike, sometimes you take a cab, subway, whatever it is. And then I got to LA and it's like, everybody was like, oh, it's all about the cars here. It's car culture. Yep. Like everything is car culture. And I still didn't have a car and I still managed to go to the movies and see friends and get my groceries at Trader Joe's and I didn't have a car. And, you know, I used Ubers and Lyfts or I, I walked. I did almost mm-hmm. get sunstroke a few times in a couple of situations. But I do think that there is a way, um, this is sort of a not, this is totally off topic, but it's like, I do think that there's a way for all of us to kind of like reevaluate the way, like if you're annoyed by going to the Trader Joe's parking lot to park, has it ever occurred to you not to bring your car to Trader Joe's and not park? Like, that's it. Just that's the simplicity of it. Oh, something drives you absolutely bonkers. Don't do that anymore. And if you, even if just like a, per, a fraction of people stopped going to Trader Joe's in their cars because they were so irritated, it would make it easier for the people who insist on bringing their cars to Trader Joe's. See, you're already, you're already using your efficiency skills like right here. This that's, is like, it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it. You know, it's just, it's that simple. yep pretty much and like you speak to kind of like an adaptability like even when you're talking about like how to adapt in COVID times as well where it's like if you're looking at a problem and you're like hey this bugs me do you have to doing the thing that bugs you it's like yeah exactly exactly which by the way Americans love doing things that bother them so they can talk about it they like this is a very so American do Canadians though no so no no Canadians. Canadians they have other no Canadians do different things and Canadians are very passive aggressive so you really don't get to hear about it in the same way it's one of the things I love about Americans Americans love a whole dinner can just be people telling you what they don't like or what they're mad about and I I love that about Americans but I was gonna say you know I had never I've been in therapy since I was like a teenager throughout my adult life I've been in regular therapy and couples therapy and I've tried fringe therapies, all these things. And uh and it was only recently, like in the last couple of years, that a ther- a therapist I was seeing in Los Angeles used the word uh adaptation. Like mm-hmm. she I had never heard that applied to to my behaviors and to my sort of strategies. I would have said things like, oh, it's my coping mechanism or it's my defense mechanism or it's my whatever. And she was like a lot of what you're talking about, a lot of a lot of the ways that you describe how you function and how you deal with, you know, whatever, like your family or your sister or your work or your, you know, your partner, you are so adaptable. You have, you've developed these adaptations and it's your way of sort of like, you are highly adaptable. And yeah. I remember having such a sort of like uh, awakening when I realized that, um, and it doesn't mean that I don't, you know, suffer the same things that other people suffer like I also had a breakdown when the pandemic started and Mm. felt like I was going to lose my mind and couldn't believe what was happening and I worried about all the things that I think a lot of people worried about but my my stress uh adaptation is Mm -hmm. to like is to be like what are the 10 things that I can focus on and how will I make the best out of this situation and what will I do and I think a lot of people get stuck in the first phase and don't know how to deal with what happens when you are frozen or, you know, your whole system is kind of disabled by anxiety or stress or unknownness. And, um, and I also think that it's become really clear to me actually in the relationship that I'm in, I've been with the same person for 10 years. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that is so, so striking and different about the way that we both 
um, adapt under certain circumstances is that some people really stay in the moment. Like my partner is a very in the moment person. She's a very functional, high um, expectations of herself. Like um, she's she's really good and calm and sort of almost like stoic. Mm -hmm. And I tend to be a little more whimsical. And as my therapist would say, I like to dream. So I, I think about the future and I think about what I want and I, you know, I really imagine those things. And so I feel like that's another adaptation that's really worked well for me and Tegan is that we are dreamers and we are mm -hmm. always thinking about the projects and the things that we want to do. We're also thinking about problem solving. I'm constantly mm -hmm. thinking about renovating my house. I'm thinking about how to make a tour bus more functional. I'm thinking about how to make a tour more sustainable. I'm always dreaming and thinking and analyzing. And, um, and I think a lot of people, you know, they just don't have that skill set, and it can be really, it can be really hard to kind of move past big episodes, big situations like what we're dealing with right now. Whereas Tegan and I, it's almost like we thrive. Like we almost, the drama of 2020, I, I it's like a breakup. Like if you put me into the middle of a breakup, I'm like, I feel like shit. I'm super depressed. My life is falling apart. Couldn't be more creative. You know, like <laughs> so, like having the best creative time. 2020 is kind of it's kind of like a breakup, like it's fucked up our lives. And yet here we are just like living our best creative lives and thriving. That's a fascinating way to put it. Cause yeah, we did have to essentially break up with the way that we were doing things for oh, yeah. up until now. And mm -hmm. totally out of our control. I mean, yeah. breakups to me are always like, they're sort of like living deaths. It's like, you can't make someone love you. Who's just told you they don't love you anymore. You can't make somebody, you can't reverse a situation like a breakup. And it's, that sort of like out, I mean, Virgo, talk about Virgo fucking stereotype, but like, I'm out of control. I can't control this. How do I get control again? Okay. And like, that's 2020. It's just like, I, I remember the feeling actually of going into lockdown and feeling like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. And then when the border, when they, when the Canadian government was like, oh, the border's closed and you can't go to the States. And mm -hmm. my father-in-law was on a cruise ship in New Zealand and they couldn't oh dock. And I was like, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah. There's no control, out of control, get into adaptation mode. How do I get control back? What do I do? You know? And with creative projects, I think that people underestimate how soothing it is to, in some ways, be in control of something that is so out of control. Because creative projects, mm. like like you said, like sometimes it's like a bolt of lightning. Sometimes you have to really work at something. Something will come at a much slower pace than you assume. But it's like, in a way, you're at the whim of the creative, yeah. project, but you're also in control of it. It's this strange yeah, yeah. duality. Um, and especially since you have so many irons in the fire, as it were, it's like, it sounds like if one is like, kind of pausing and fomenting and processing, you can bounce to another. It's more active. Oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> like, I don't remember who it was that originally, you know, I remember somewhere in my creative life hearing people talk about flow and mm -hmm. I didn't love the word at first, but I think that's just because I'm a woman. And so I feel like somewhere like in my grade four health class, they talked about like <laughs> menstrual flow or something. And I was like, never use that I'm word. Like, no, nope um, out of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think it's accurate in that, like, 
I, as a creative person, know when I'm in a flow, like when my flow is happening, like when I'm like, oh, this is, even if it's taking a long time to write something or to sing something, I can feel when I'm like locked in. And if I'm not locked in, I'll give myself a brief period of time where I'm like, maybe I will, lock, maybe it'll change. But if it doesn't get locked in, there's no point in sitting there for eight hours struggling. It's like open a different file, yep. open a different session. Yep get up and go for a walk. Well, today's screwed. You have to just vacuum and listen to a podcast. Like, you know, I just feel like <laughs> it's just, it's, it's finding your flow and it doesn't have to be on the project you thought it was going to be on. Sometimes mm -hmm. I think, oh, I'm so creative today. I feel musical. I can't wait to work on that song. And then I start working on it and I'm just hitting a wall and then I'll open a writing session and I'll like write like 40,000 words, you know, yep. I'm just like, whoa, this yep. is what I was feeling today. I really needed to do this thing. And, yep. um, yeah, like I try to, I try to like give myself those, those examples all the time because it's easy for me to even kind of feel like, oh, I'm stuck. I'm shit. Well, and it's that feeling of like, when you do get stuck in a flow, like I always know in my logic brain that I'm going to get out of it, but my emotional brain goes, this is it. Yeah. And so it's yeah. so, <laughs> like, it's so nice to have multiple places to direct that flow. Cause you're like, if it's not going in this direction, okay, I can accept that. Maybe it'll go in this other direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I miss being young because when I was a teenager, I never thought that I never like, there's a, a I don't, this is kind of a gross word to use, but a vi vi virality, virality to like yeah. when you're young and you figure out you can write a song. Yeah. And you're just like, I'm making creative ideas and every one of them is amazing. And it's magic again and again and again. And now I'm old and I'm like, maybe I'm thrilled if I even feel it, like briefly excited about something. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're like, give me my molecule of dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, well, nope, it's gone. I guess I'll get wine. You know, like I just, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so curious what, and since you brought up like teenagerhood, I'm like, okay, so you're writing this graphic novel and there will be music to it. I'm like, I'm really curious what fictionalized teenager Tegan and Sarah sound like. I'm like, that's such a meta narrative. Yeah. It can't be really good. We're, well, this is <laughs> what's been really hard is that when we actually sold the book, we sold it as a semi-fictionalized version of our own story from that age. And then when we wrote the pitch deck and sent it to them, they were like, no, okay, we need to modernize this. This is terrifying. I can't believe these things were happening to you at that age, you know, oh, because we, we went to like a pretty tough, you know, like we, you know, really, 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 really mixed experiences depend on, on what social group you were in. Like I'm sure kids went to our elementary school and junior high and did not have the experiences we had, but the circle we ran in, it was like gangs, drugs, sex, like stealing, like, you know, really tough things at a very young age. If anything, I feel like high school actually was less wild than junior high and so more, we have like, more coping strategies by high school <laughs> oh God. yeah I mean I'm sure there were bad things happening there too I just mean we went to you know we our junior high was right next to the worst mall in the city you know where mm -hmm. there was the most you know John's you know and, and prostitution happening and all this stuff and it was just it was just you know they were basically like so this is a kid's book um, you're not writing, <laughs> this isn't your fun home. Um, so we were like, okay. Um, and so we decided, yeah, so we, we made it very fictionalized and we moved it into modern times. And um, a really great friend of ours, actually Vivek Shreya, she gave feedback on our sort of latest draft of the first book um, and said, you know, there's so much throwback stuff. Like you've made Tegan and Sarah diehard grunge, you know, 90s music fans, which is totally cute because totally teenagers 
love 90s music for sure. Like that's believable, but I'm left wanting to know what I really actually want to know if you and Sarah were 13 right now, like based on the people you were when you were teenagers, what would you be listening to? Like you Mm. potentially wouldn't have been listening to 90s music because that's like saying you would have been listening to 60s or 70s music, which we did listen to some 60s and 70s music, but she was basically like, tell me, figure out who you guys would like now. And, and, and I'm still a little stuck. Like a lot of the cultural references in the book are sort of just placeholder at this time. And I've been kind of picking the brain of a lot of people around us because I'm like, would we have loved Billie Eilish? Probably because she's so, oh yeah, she's so alternative and she has all these really incredible um, statements about her body and, you know, her autonomy. And those were things, those were definitely themes. You know, our mom worked at a sexual assault center and it was a therapist and social worker. And she was very like progressive in the household. And we talked a lot about body and, mm-hmm. and sexual assault and, and, you know, oppression in different communities and those kinds of things. So I'm like, okay, we would have definitely probably loved Billie Eilish. And we were really into alternative music and alternative things. So yeah, we probably would have known about queer music and musicians. Yeah. We probably would have loved King Princess and we probably would have thought yes. Janelle, Janelle Monet was so cool, you know, um, because we really liked musicians who were also actors. Like we were really obsessed with Leisha Haley when we were teenagers because, you know, she was in All Over Me, but also The Murmurs. And we thought that was just so cool. And so I, I it's been a really fun game to like try to figure out who, who we would like. And and I think that once we land on that, then we'll be able to be informed about what we sound like right now. We're writing it sort of, or everything we've written so far is pretty loose. We're not saying what genre we are, but Mm. um, yeah, it'll be super interesting. I I mean, if anything, I think that, you know, the people that we are today are still the people we were when we were kids. Like, I think we're always I think we always had an appreciation for mainstream pop culture art and and movies and television. Like we were not worried about seeming like sellouts. Like we would right. listen to Rant, Rancid and Bratmobile, but then we would put on like Set You Free or whatever by Entrance and like dance in our giant raver clothes. Like, you know, we were pretty, <laughs> we were always a bit of a hodgepodge. We were always a bit of a smoothie, if you will. And, and I think we still are. You know, like I think if anything, like one of our bigger struggles as a band and as public figures has been that we defy genre and we defy being boxed up. You know, we 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 have changed our sound and evolved as musicians, but we've also changed the way we format our stories and the way that our shows flow and the way that we run our social media. And like, I think we're always picking and choosing from a million different worlds. Like I'm not scared to like go and find the biggest influencers and watch what they're doing and see if there's anything applicable to the way Sarah and I run our own, you know, online business. I'm not afraid to look at country artists or hip hop artists or obscure indie rock now and say, is any of this applicable? Like are people doing things that will apply? Because I look out in our audience and I see a really random assortment of people. Like there is a a lot of women, sure, and I know a lot of queer people love us, but but there's a pretty random assortment of people that follow us and listen to us and like our music and, and get our stories. And I think we're always trying to pick things that feel applicable in other mm-hmm. places to make up the sort of, you know, comforter of Tegan and Sarah. And I think when it comes to our writing, when it comes to the music that we make, the way that we speak, the way that we you know, build out these fictionalized versions of us. I'm using all of that all the time. I'm always sort of trying to figure that out, which is sometimes hard because it's sometimes easier to just be a thing, 
and just clearly be that thing. I envy some bands and some artists that are just like, no, we're, this is the band we are. If we change anything, if I wear a different colored pair of jeans, our fans will rebel. And I'm almost yes. envious of that. Like there's some safety and security in that. And it speaks to our like divorced kid moved 28 times in childhood nature, which is just like, I'm okay on being uncomfortable and changing all the time. And that's fine. We'll just change. That's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Let it go. Move on. Lost that thing. Where is that pair of jeans? I don't know. Oh, well, <laughs> moving on. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it, it's, it's, it, it serves us well, but I can see why it makes other people uncomfortable. And I can totally get why bands just are like, this is my lane. This is what I do. This is all I can do. So right now all I'm doing is laying on the floor in the fetal position because I feel terrible. And I'm like, for sure. You're like, cool. You rock that. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. We haven't read the other day. It was like, I literally haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. I'm yeah. an artist. I didn't do anything. And I just, I was like, that's great. You know, I think probably a lot of people on our team, in our family, our friends, my partner says it to me all the time. It would be okay to just do nothing. And I'm working on that. I'm, 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 I'm musing on that from time to time. Like, what would it be like? Do we have to agree to do any more things? You know, do we? Like our, our, our label picked up our option. Do we make a record? Like, should we? Do we have to? Do we want to? I mean, I'm just asking all those questions yeah. all the time. <laughs> Maybe we don't. <laughs> well, it is valuable because I am, I'm of similar temperament where my coping mechanism certainly is that I love doing things. Things are so yeah. exciting. But there is certain value in evaluating now that we kind of have this gift as artists to be like, is this the thing I want to be doing right now? And even ask, because I think that especially like in the before times, like all of us felt kind of rushed to do things in a way. And like, especially that Spotify article that came out that made me very big mad, um, where it's like, just like, go, 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 make the thing, make the thing, make the thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I'm just like, have you ever yeah. done a thing in your life, sir? Um, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. And now it's like pausing to be like, do I want to make this? If so, why? And it's like, yeah. not to stop you from doing things, but to have that moment of pause to be like, oh, does this align with what I want? And occasionally to be like, no, I think I can let this one go for now. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Sarah will even, if we will agree on this, but, but it sounds like maybe you and I will, but like, I just, for me, that article went, stressed me out. I mean, of course, like, I don't think we should just be like making things and feeling pressure and like, what a terrible thing to put on on artists. And, you know, there's that side of it. But the other side of it is that we've seen, and this is going to, you know, disclaimer, make me seem very old. And I finally have hit that age where I'm the old person that's like in our day, but it's like, <laughs> you know, we're making things so fast. We're producing things so fast and we're giving people so many options. No one has time to hold on to something and treasure it. You know, there's no scarcity. And to me, the only scarcity right now is connection. Because if I just keep making things, everyone's just going to get used to the fact that I'm making things all the time and putting things out all the time. So they don't have to be into everything I make because they just know like, oh, I'll get into the next thing or the thing right. after that. And, right. you know, we, we think of that in those terms about touring all the time. Like we can't tour all the time. We can't hit every American city nine times a record cycle because we can't squeeze out every drop every record cycle because then people will start to just assume that we're coming all the time that we're going to be there oh well i don't need to see Keegan and sarah this time around because they'll be back next year they always tour and not that we're like teasing people or trying to like train you 
to appreciate us, but we're totally training you to appreciate <laughs> us because we are artists and we are human beings. And every time we set foot on a tour bus and head out on the road, we're dismantling to a large degree our mental health, our our physical health, our connection to home, our connection to our families, to our partners, to ourselves. And we're stripping that down to give it out, you know, day after day after day after day to, to people coming to see us. And it's a gift. And it's a, mm-hmm. and it's an honor and a, and a total pleasure to do it. But we have to protect that. It's not a renewable resource, in my opinion. It is not infinite. We will at some point not be able to do it. And I want to make sure it's special. And I think when it comes to producing art and making things, you know, when I look at the docket of what we have going on, you know, we're very measured in like, okay, well, this is coming out during this time and this is coming out during this time and what we do in between matters and we can't overload. And, you know, like we really think about it. And I think what's scary about this idea that it's become so easy to create things and to release them into the world is that we feel compelled to do so, mm-hmm. but it's just creating a very unhealthy relationship with people and with mm-hmm. art. And, and like I said, the only thing that feels scarce right now to me is connection because I, I just think we have to still keep it special, you know, and, and, and that's always been the gift of Sarah and I is that it was always, you know, qualitative over quantitative for us. You know, mm-hmm. the biggest shows are not my favorite shows. They're the ones that are, are just the right size. And that sometimes is a lot of people, but it's just the right size. It was the right size for the moment and that night and our mood and the set list. And it's just perfect. It's not ever get off stage and go, wow. There was 10,000 people there. That's what made it amazing. That's never what makes it amazing. You know, the records that sold well, some of them are really special, but it was the experience of releasing them into the world, making it, and and the stories that came back from people about why they connected. That's what meant something. That's what matters. That's what's going to matter 20 years from now when we look at the legacy or the, you know, the, the arc of our career. And, you know, so I think that, uh, yeah, producing quickly and a lot just to keep yourself going and keep yourself out there in the marketplace is it's really, really, really dangerous, I think. Yeah. I'm glad that you cited Billie Eilish, actually, when you were talking about like who you'd be into now, because I think like she's a wonderful example of that, where it's like, she doesn't put out constant content. It's like, she's perfect yeah. on what she puts out. And I respect that because I was certainly not that together or thoughtful as <laughs> a teenager. <laughs> um, I was like, I don't know how you did this, but like, t- well done. Um, <laughs> and it's like watching, I don't know if you've hung out with any teenagers to kind of research um, teenagerhood during this time to write about teenagers, but it's kind of cool because they do really value, like you said, like scarcity and connection. It's like they value connection so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that people do underestimate that. Like I've, I've had the privilege of tutoring a lot of teenagers over the last few years. <laughs> wow. And they're excellent human beings. I love them. They have no filter. Um, And so, (laughs) but it's cool to see like what they value and why. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you really hit on something there that it's like the reason why some of, especially my younger teenagers did seem to really connect with people like Billy is because it's the connection. It's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds recursive, but it's like, it's because they feel very connected to her. They feel like she understands them, but she's not just like flooding them with content. It's like, she'll put out something purposeful, like a music video every few months at least. And it's like, then they feel connected to what she's doing. And yeah, like, she's, think- very, she's very measured on her social media. It is really impressive in a time where everyone's, you know, putting everything out there. She does, she does 
come off as very measured. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting too. Like I was thinking the other day about how, like, I'm such a Billie Eilish fan and I watched, I watched her live stream concert that she put on um, last month. And I was thinking about how (laughs) this is, this could get me in trouble, but I'm just going to say it. But like one of the, one of the challenging parts about getting older I feel this way to some degree, but I really know it about some of our fan base. A, a chunk of our fan base is 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 um is suffering from that thing that happens when you've you've been been overexposed for twenty years to things that you like, and now you've now you're into rock climbing, or you had a baby, and that's your obsession, or like God forbid that you want to go see a concert even once a year, like I right. mean, <laughs> you know, and you know, so like the core of our audience has aged out of being an exciting, captivated audience. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, one of the things that I envy about younger bands, it's not their skin or, you know, they're, they're, that they're getting to do this for the first time, whatever, like society makes all uh, like you turn 40 and everybody's like, oh, do you just wish you looked young again? No, I wish our audience looked young again because they would be more excited, you know? <laughs> and I think that's the hard, the hard part of getting to the, to the stage that we're at. And it's a privilege and an honor to try to figure this Rubik's cube out together, but it is hard to make our audience excited. And it is hard to, to pretend that I feel really excited when I can see that they are not totally there with us and that they are thinking about their kid or they're tired because the set started at 9.30 or they're restless or they're running back and forth to the bar to get drinks. And, um, you know, uh, I think that it's, it's a challenge to try to unlock uh, what comes so natural to teenagers and young adults. It's this, it's this vitality. Again, it's this vitality of like, every concert is the best concert you've ever been to. Every night is the best night that you've ever had. Every friend is the best friend you're ever going to know. And suddenly you're 40 and you're just like, oh God, I have to get coffee filters and get home. And you know, like, oh, it's raining. I don't want to have to wait in line to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's just, it's hard. That's the culture around making things and touring when you become an older person. And I, I just, I, I love tapping into people like Billie Eilish and that kind of younger audience because, um, it's nostalgic. It reminds me of what it felt like Mm -hmm. for us when we first started. And it reminds me that, um, that we may never have that again, (laughs) but, but, but there are other ways I think to get what we, what we can from those experiences. And, um, and you have to sort of look for new ways. I don't know. I'm thinking about the crown right now. Like, I don't know if anybody's watching this, but like every time the queen talks to her children about the sanctity of marriage and I'm like fucking against marriage like marriage can like kiss my ass like I don't really give a shit about marriage and monogamy and get to the end of your life it's all it's just like it's it's a it's a prison but I love when the queen talks about like you know that you have to stay in these relationships and you have to figure out mutually together how you're going to get through it and what concessions need to be made and which things you need to look away and pretend didn't happen and whatever. And I'm like, that is some fucking sensible shit. And that's how I feel (laughs) in some ways about creativity and my career. I'm never going to feel madly in love, nor will our audience potentially feel madly in love with the 40 year old version of us. But maybe there is, maybe there's other important things that we have to carry on with together. Or, you know, like maybe seeing us 
hobble up onto stage as old women and play acoustically <laughs> will you know will, will remind them that together we'll persevere and still get through this life or whatever it is like I have to stop thinking I can capture again that young you know part of what happened in our career and instead need to figure out how to best stay in this marriage with our audience you know that's beautiful. And and in the marriage with your creativity, where it's like, there are different phases of every relationship. Like you can't stay in limerence forever. You'd no. admire. <laughs> you really can't. <laughs> well, it would also be, I mean, the way we felt about music when we were young was, had addictive qualities, if I'm yeah. being honest. I mean, yeah. there was a sort of all-consuming distracted, get my next fix vibe, you know, to playing music. And now it's like, I can walk past the guitar for a year and not pick it up. Whereas like, you know, as a teenager, it was like a fix to my body. You know, I didn't, I would have, I would have sacrificed anything and anyone for the high that I would get from making music and from creating something from nothing. And now I'm kind of like, I mean, walking to the grocery store might give me that thrill now. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just, I feel a little more balanced in my relationship with making things. And knowing that the things you put out, like I think about the artists that I was listening to as a teenager that I got like obsessed with, they were mostly women in their 30s and 40s who were putting things out that I loved as a teenager. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, I, I, I think that there's a real cross-generational um, like constant in the music business. And I think it is because young people attach so feverishly and excitedly to music and, and older people kind of time out a little bit sometimes. Like we always say our audience just keeps getting younger and everybody says that, but it's not, it's just, they're staying young because old people don't grow out to shows as much. I mean, I'm, I'm being like slightly facetious here, but like, you know, like older people, like I see half the concerts I used to, maybe even less than that. And, um, way less. And I, and I think like we were the same as teenagers. We were listening to people who were way older than us and connecting to that music. And I think that um, social media, like well, this is a whole other episode here, but like, you know, social media and this sort of compulsion with perfection and the way we look and selfies and all this other stuff is like really made for me anyway, feel like this weird thing happen where it's like oh well this person's like 22 so only 22 year olds listen to them or younger than them like Mm -hmm. and that's not Mm -hmm. true that's not how it works like people listen to the radio millions and millions and millions of people listen to the radio or millions and millions and millions of people listen to spotify playlists and like are enjoying artists of all ages of all backgrounds of all differences and and it's just on social media where you start to be like, oh, this is a young person who so feels weird to like what they're doing. Like, you know, when Billie Eilish came out, we were like, is it weird that we love Billie Eilish so much? And it was like, <laughs> no, it's not weird. It's not weird it's at all. Because, <laughs> you know, like, it's just about music and we love artists of all ages. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But you do that as a queer person too, right? You're like, like, it was a joke for decades for us when we would talk about how obsessed we were with Phil Collins and Bruce Springsteen when we were kids, because we were imagining ourselves as them singing to women. And like, yep. it's complicated. The way we connect to music and the way that we connect to, connect to art is, you know, so singular and individual. And um, and I think that that continues. And so I just, I, I feel like when I look to my future and what I'm gonna create and what I'm gonna make, I'm, I really am thinking about making art for everybody. Just just like I always have, you know, I'm never just, I'm writing a song that's for, perfect for me, about me, but I'm filtering it and, and, you know, 
I don't know, sharing it in this way that it'll be compatible with anyone who's had that feeling and anyone of any age can have any feeling, right? So uh, I I really, I feel like that that's super- I used to feel, you know, Tegan, I used to feel that way. And then I've spent eight months on TikTok and now I'm pretty sure that nothing I write is going to connect with a 20 year old (laughs) boy ever again. You know what, honestly though, but like maybe, maybe, maybe a 20 year old boy for sure. But that's a very (laughs) unique, that's a very unique age- you know, I don't know if I ever connected boys with- are unique. Yeah, I was going to say, we, saw a lot, with- we didn't see that many teenage boys in our audience ever. We see a lot of men. We see mm-hmm. a lot of like college age people of, of, you know, all kinds. But yeah, I think it's more like teenage girls or preteen girls. And like, you know, obviously lots of LGBTQ kids. I mean, but this was always our biggest complaint was also about like even gay men. Like they just don't seem to relate to, 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 to us. Like, and it's like, why? You know, but I will agree. I know you're being funny, but I will say like, of course there's people that I'm not, <laughs> I'm really not being funny. I'm not, I'm not being funny. I've, it's been really, it's actually, it's not just about, it's not just about art. It's about recognizing how different I am from the majority of people and yeah. what interests me. I mean, I saw this meme. I think it was, um, oh, I have, I wish I remembered his name. He's so good. He has an HBO. Hold on. Let me just look him up because I want to make sure that I, Ah, oh, what's this? I'll I'll look it up. I'll look it up. But it's it it it's like a meme where he draws like a hand drawn um, blueprint of what all American kitchen look, kitchens look like, and it's like I cry laughed because it's it's true. Like looking at people's kitchens on TikTok, like every kitchen is like the island is so big like <laughs> what started as a small island in every kitchen has now grown into like it's like 500 square feet of island and just like piles of water bottles um like just it anyways the blue like the drawing made mm-hmm. me cry laugh because every time I'm watching TikTok TikTok I'm like god I live differently than other people like I am such a minimalist I am so oppressively clean and organized <laughs> I dress monochromatically I have no interest in wearing those gym shorts that everybody is wearing everywhere I I don't wear pajamas and use like a sports team fuzzy blanket to come cozy up at night while I'm watching tv like I find I sometimes when I'm watching tiktok I feel like I'm an alien who's getting a live feed (laughs) from a different planet and I'm like do should I do that to blend in with these people like what the fuck like I I see artifacts so in our next music video what you're saying is that we need to like shoot it in like a very suburban kind of looking home we both need to wear like pajamas to bed and like cozy up with a a, (laughs) it's crazy fuzzy like like, sports team blanket like you're saying that we're not relatable to regular folks by the way I live in the suburbs it's not anything against the suburbs but it is it is, my life looks so profoundly different than mm. the majority of people on TikTok. And I'm not talking about class and I'm not talking about, um, like I'm just habitually what people do to soothe themselves yep. and the way they live and interact with their space is profoundly different. And I would dare say that if I really let myself imagine my life compared to most people's life it makes me feel a bit lonely or isolated Mm -hmm. from the experience it seems everyone else is able to achieve 
with a fuzzy blanket and a, and like, you know, a dog and some water bottles. Like, I'm just like, wow, people seem really comfortable <laughs> and at home. And why do I feel so deeply uncomfortable in my body and my house and my space? And I'm always trying to fix it and correct it and like make it perfect. And I, so I mean this sincerely when I'm watching TikTok, what I actually see is a greater sort of uh, divide than I realized mm-hmm. between my experience and what's going on inside of me and what is going on for a lot of people and figuring out what the language and medium to connect to those people is because that is who I want to connect with. I want to connect mm-hmm. with everybody. I want to connect with the person who has a 650 square foot island in their kitchen. Like I want to <laughs> be because so many of the people on TikTok, by the way, they're interacting with music. They're interacting yeah. with lyrics and songs. And yeah. that is the majority of what I watch on TikTok is people who are listening to songs that I like. Yeah. Like, you know, like verses and hooks that I'm like, whoa, that stuff is, that stuff's great. And then I'm like, why when I sit down, do my songs sound like they've been written by an alien who's been watching TikTok for eight months? Like, I don't understand. Um, yeah, I feel different. I feel very different. And I'm curious about like, if you did talk to them, like what your commonalities would be. Cause I'm like, I don't know what their relationship with their gargantuan kitchen Island is. I don't know if they actually are comfortable there. Like I don't, there's so much about them that I'm like, I'm so curious that I, I don't know. And I don't know what yeah. it's relating. A to lot of times I think relating to a lot of times the the dances that they're doing are right next to the kitchen island <laughs> isn't there a sp- imagine if you had a smaller kitchen island how much more space you would have to do dances like it just feels it feels crazy I, I love it because it's reminiscent of the way we grew up in some ways like you know what when I think about it like we definitely had a fuzzy blanket it wasn't a sports team but it was you know a fuzzy blanket with like teddy bears on it or something and we definitely would cuddle up and watch tv with our parents um doing that so I mean I do think it's a glimpse into the into a different version of my life and it could have been my life like I could have grown up and mirrored that behavior and those comforts and instead I chose a slightly more refined I don't know specific uptight version of life and I sometimes (laughs) see people on TikTok just like in their like people's bedrooms are astonishingly gross to me like the (laughs) amount of garbage and food and pet cages and sheets that are not washed once a week there's (laughs) no way like just things that make my skin crawl and it's I recognize I'm the weird one I know I'm the problem here. Like I'm the problem. I'm the co- I'm the one in the minority. And so then I'm like, wow. And then it makes me think that I've really found my soulmate in my spouse because she seems to find the way that I live and the way I need to live yes. um, comforting. <laughs> so she's yes. fucked up too. Yes. And there's, I'm, I'm like, I'm sure that there are more of you. I just made tiny plodding hands. You can't see it. <laughs> oh, there's more of us. I mean, I recognize that I recognize I'm not that individual or unique in this situation, but maybe I need to start like a TikTok genre for people like me because it's like, I don't know. It just, it's just really unusual. It's, it's um, yeah. I just really feel like when I'm watching it, I really am seeing um, I'm, I'm really, I'm getting to see something that is definitely not my life. Not you. I find that so interesting. Like, do either of you follow the artist Dorian Electra? I don't think so. Ooh, you'd really like them. Um, they did this really, a note. yep. Um, they are an amazing, amazing artist just in general. But what really struck me was with their latest release, um, they did essentially what I could best call 
um, straight culture drag is the best way I know how to put it. It's like, <laughs> they totally put on like an auburn wig and like a thermal shirt and cute little jeans and like a, a scarf and they had a pumpkin spice latte. And like, it was very much like the norm core Instagram girl, but it's so mm-hmm. interesting because they're very, very out and active queer artist and all of their imagery is from like drag culture and queer culture and so it was so interesting seeing them essentially do drag as like a normcore girl a normal mm. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like <laughs> i found it fascinating um that it's like the but subversion of that narrative it's so interesting because as you're saying that the thing that popped into my mind was you know um was when probably the well the most recent time where a band was very popular you know and it ebbs and flows obviously and that we're good with that but was after we had the single closer on this pop record heartthrob and then we had everything is awesome in the lego movie and it was like it, it really we were interacting often with very mainstream culture mainstream press radio stations that played other pop songs you know we were really dabbling in that world and the people that were coming to our meet and greets and you know, we'd gone out and done a, a Katy Perry tour and a tour with this band Fun, and we were interacting with what I would say are very normal, very like middle class, you know, Americans in cities like all over the states. And like it was, we had really short hair and tattoos and dressed kind of weird, but we had this big song and people, I don't know, like this isn't entirely exactly what you guys were just talking about, but that's what popped into my head is that. Uh, it's not that I'm not going to say that we don't have anything in common or we do have anything in common. I'm just based on my own experience at that time where we brushed up against mainstream culture in a really big way for an extended period of time and interacted daily with families and kids and teenagers and radio jocks and all these kind of whatever. I don't know. Like they, we did have a lot in common. We're all watching Netflix shows and like, you know, whatever. And I'm not implying that we're not monsters. I'm just <laughs> saying that when I see inside, we weren't in their kitchens. We were, you know, at our shows. We were in, in, we were in our environments. We were in our yeah. environment. Mm. For sure. For, for sure. I'm just saying that like, you know, there was, they were intrigued and excited by, by meeting us and, and the, because they felt like they were meeting a celebrity or a band and they loved music and, and our lives are really different. But I like to think that all of us in humanity, I mean, there's a reason why there's a social hierarchy that we like things that are popular. We like things that are like unavailable to us. We like to look at people's lives. We like to, you know, I like to look, I like doing Zoom calls with our fans because I like looking through the pages and seeing inside people's apartments. Like I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by things that are not like me. And I guess I'm just saying that in those moments where we're not just in our own community or with diehard Tegan and Sarah fans who really get us, who there seems to be a lot in common with, even when we're in those worlds that feel very foreign and very different, there does seem to be so many just normal links between us. And there also just seems to be a fascination, us with them and them with us. Like, you know, they're meeting us and they're they are probably going home often and being like, we met Tegan and they were so cool or they were gay and <laughs> the first gay people we met. I don't know. Like I imagine these conversations where they're quite fascinated by having an experience outside the norm. Um, and I feel similarly. Like, I, you know, sometimes when I walk into those worlds, I feel inspired by that I feel inspired by being embraced by a world that doesn't reflect sometimes my own but Mm. but but then it gives me an opportunity to really see that there are just these very universal truths you know very universal 
basic needs that we all have. And one of them, of course, like I keep harping on is connection. And even if it's connecting with someone who's entirely different than us, it can feel very fulfilling, I think, you know, but I agree with everything you said about TikTok. I have a big kitchen island, as you know. (laughs) Now I feel like I'm like, I'm like, my heart is full of connection and my mind is confused by my lack of kitchen island. I'm like, did I fail at being an American? (laughs) (laughs) Well, didn't you say you live in a condo? I do. And I chose to take up my space with a baby grand piano. There you go. Well, well, there you go. Yes. Different. This is Choices. this is totally suburban. I mean, I must admit, I do have the unfortunate ADHD habit that I picked up from my dad. Of if there's a flat surface, I want to put things put on it. Um, because if it is in a cupboard or in the closet, um, my brain simply forgets it exists. Like I surprise myself constantly when I open my own cupboards. Like who put that there? and so I like having things kind of in a like they are organized it's like in a line on my kitchen counter I think there's something to be said Sarah and I are like we're like anti-knickknack and we hide everything I do want to forget everything that I own so I want to put it in covers but we our stepdad he he displays everything and it's it's you know he needs to see everything all of his possessions at, at at all at all times and the the last time we went to his house before he moved it was it it hit me like where I was like I understand now like he needs to see everything at once like for him it's not just about knowing what he owns it's also like it brings him comfort to see what he has like accumulated and it's so it was like oh that's so interesting I mean it still seemed kind of a bit unhealthy at times the way that he displays things but I also like appreciate that like that it was so meaningful to him and then when we talked about it he was like yeah like you know my things mean so much to me and anyway there's that's a bigger conversation whereas for me I I, I derive very little meaning or mm-hmm. pleasure from from like things so like for but me but you realize you are all, sitting in front of you are sitting in front of like hundreds well, this of is what I was just yeah, well, it's so it's so funny because you're having a twin telepathy moment. Because I was going to say, my <laughs> sentence was, I derive very little pleasure from things. Like I don't have a lot of connection to like knickknacks and little things that I acquire or technology. And you know, I was I was so thrilled to get rid of my CD collection when iTunes and all that stuff started. But the one item I can't seem to get rid of is books, and mm-hmm. I feel like, and I don't know if it's because I like the way they look or because I have such a memory attached to them, like of when I read them, like I have all my books from when I was in high school and I, I have so many memories like in every book, even if I don't remember what the book was about, I can almost always remember where I got it. Like if I ordered it online or I bought it in a bookstore or whatever. And I just, I love when people come over, like I have my books right by the front door because I love when people come over and talk, want to talk about books and then I get drunk and then I constantly push books on people <laughs> like it's like it's how I show, show love you should start a show you should start a, a show called drunk librarian and oh you God. should just have people I like, love sort of like it's like drunk history but you basically invite people <laughs> over to look at your library and then you force them to take books while they're drinking yes yes I mean, I've been low-key creeping on your bookshelf this whole time being like, can I see any titles from here? And I'm like, why am I like this? Why? <laughs> I think it's so, this is the thing is like, I've, I've, I've remained steadfast that like, I think books say a lot about a person, even if they own two books. Like, I just think it's super interesting. And I've like, and I, I also know people who just hate 
like absolutely hate reading and aren't interested in it. And I think that that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing for those people. They're, they're, you know, filling out their lives in other ways, but I just love books, but, um, my computer just gave me a warning and let me know that I'm at 5%, which oh is God. thrilling. Very, can you guys, can we just, can we just, can we I'm just looking brief, at the kitchen island photo? Can we just right briefly now? look yeah. at the photo? <laughs> that is hysterical. <laughs> my favorite is that the bedrooms are so small right next to each other. And then the Amazon chapel, which I know from what he means is like people just have piles of Amazon boxes in their TikTok videos. I don't ever understand what's going on. Oh, the sectional, oh also God. the sectional couch is, is so huge. <laughs> it's so funny, God. It just so keeps going. And I love that the bedrooms are like the size of the sink. This yeah. is art. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's I, to me, it's like complete genius. He's such a genius. But um, like, goes out the front door. <laughs> I like em empty bookshelf. It's true. I will say that I am I am always perplexed when I see in inside people's houses and their bookshelves are empty. That I find fascinating. Knickknacks. See, I I'm not anti knickknack. I have like a few sentimental objects, but I most of most of what's in my house is frankly like music tools. It's basically right. pianos and keyboards and monitors and a spare ukulele. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so it's like, that's mainly why my house looks cluttered is that I live in a condo where my living room accidentally became my recording studio during quarantine. Right. <laughs> but my bookshelves are typically overflowing with actual books. And it confuses me when people are like, oh, you space out the books with things. I'm like, is it called a thing shelf? No. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta live. You just gotta live the way that makes you comfortable. For some people, they just want a shelf that at any time could have space on it for something else. You know, I've really? heard yeah. yeah. Oh, you two have been such a pleasure. I feel so bad that your computer's dying. I was like, I want to respect the battery life. <laughs> I know <Yeah>. life. <laughs> it's going. So I mean, it's at four percent. I mean, we got like probably two minutes at this rate before it shuts off. So like we're like living <laughs> on the edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you for having us on your podcast. It was so lovely to speak with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.